you got to think global, but you got to act local. Welcome to the Food Startups Podcast. You just need the packaging to shout off the shelf. It's a different world when you actually think about adding value. But to be able to play now is definitely going to require some new thinking out there. Hang out with us and learn how to grow your food business. This is episode number 152. We have Icelandic Glacial, a bottled water company. And the first one we've had on the show, very thought-provoking story when you learn that they are in 21 countries, but only have 40 total employees, including those that work at the bottling plant in Iceland. Their source of water is an underground spring that was formed from a volcanic eruption 5,000 years ago. And as they serve a very high-end market, and we'll learn a lot about what makes this water different and superior to a lot of the bottled water brands out there, their marketing campaigns are quite unique, and you can see more on their website. But yeah, what a just interesting and cool company. So being able to go behind the scenes with the CEO was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy this episode. This is the first water company we've had on the show. So I'm really excited. And uh, as you know, our bodies are mostly made of water, so it's a pretty important topic. Icelandic Glacial. This brand is owned and operated by Icelandic Water Holdings based in Iceland. I can't read uh, Hilda Arendi. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but in a, a part of Iceland. And this company controls the sole commercial rights to bottle and sell water from the legendary Ulfis Spring. The capacity of the spring is recognized as one of the largest in the world. Its daily overflow is more than double the total quantity of bottled water consumed worldwide. As you'll find out in the interview, it's underground. It comes from underground spring. So the first time you open the bottle is the first time the water comes in contact with air. It was established in April 2004. And three years later, Anheuser-Busch took a 20% ownership stake in the company. They have become one of the fastest growing premium bottled water brands in the U.S. And they're in 21 countries, available at fine retailers, restaurants, and hotels nationwide. And it's impressively, I just found this out, they only have 40 employees. You would think there'd be a lot more. So the president and CEO, Reza Mirza, he has 20 years of consumer product experience, most recently serving as president of Activate Drinks, where he grew the company in key markets through increased distribution while driving double-digit same-store sales and increased brand awareness. It was under his leadership that Activate gained new distribution in key retailers in the Northeast while growing the brand organically at Southern California retailers who witnessed double-digit growth in same-store sales. He has also held management positions at Nestle, Colgate. He also worked at Bash in his native India, helping to launch Blaupunkt Car Audio into the Indian market. He has a master's degree in international affairs and international business from Columbia University in New York. He also earned his MBA from the International Management Institute in New Delhi, India, and holds a BS in biochemistry from the University of Madras in India, the southern region where he's from. 
Reza, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here on your show. Yeah, and, and as I mentioned in the intro, uh, one, we're happy to have you, and two, you know, you're from India. What was your childhood like? My childhood was, it was a fantastic, it was a, a dream childhood. I was very lucky. You know, I grew up all over India, actually, because my father was in the Indian government. And, and with that, I had the opportunity to live in places like the Kerala, Mumbai, Bangalore, Chennai, all over the country. And that actually helped an interesting perspective of the country, the, the, the diversity of the country, the cultures, and uh, a new appreciation for spicy food. I bet. And, and moving forward to your career, I mean, you've been on, I'll say, the large multinational scale for a long time, and you've excelled. I'd say one is what uh, initially attracted you to these types of companies like Colgate and Nestle? And, and two, why do you think, what makes you um, an attractive candidate? As I, I can tell, you know, getting the job at Icelandic Glacial and before then, you're, you're sought after for management positions. Yeah. I was very lucky. I have to say that very, very lucky to have had the opportunities to work at phenomenal companies like Bosch, Duke, Nestle, and the and Colgate. This is something which I, when I go to business school and I give speeches there, they all ask me, when you interview, what is important? And I always say, so when you interview with the company, you got to see what is the cultural fit. And uh, that is very important. Are you going to be motivated? Are you going to be learning? Do you see yourself spending a lot of time in the company you are working with? So at, at this point, Colgate and at Nestle, I've had amazing leaders that I have, I have learned from who have really impacted my leadership style. It was a great learning experience because so you learn different aspects of the business. You learn about how do you view a, a country or a company on a global scale. Yeah. And Reza, I have to interrupt you here because I just want to define for the audience and for myself, how would you describe your leadership style? My leadership style is I see myself as a coach. You know, I would never say I have one a leadership style. Because you got to see who you're working with. Uh, on a macro level, I always believe in hire the best people and just get out of the way. But even as a coach, you got to really provide direction. You got to outline very clearly on what your expectations are. And every person has their own motivating uh, factors. With some people, you got to you got to articulate very clearly. These are steps one, two, three. With some other uh, people, you've got to say, you know what, here's the flag, that's the mountain, go and plant the flag the way, and they do it. So the key in my leadership style is understanding what makes every member of your team tick, and then you play on, on their strengths and motivate them accordingly. Gotcha. And so two follow-up questions with, I'd say, um, Icelandic Glacial, how did they recruit you and were you nervous when you went in for the interview or the, the visit? No, I don't think I was nervous. Uh, I was recruited through a, 
uh, headhunter approached me uh, after we sold active or after uh, after activate uh, the headhunter said hey uh, would you like to meet the owners of Icelandic uh, Jan and the Christian Olafsson and there's this position available as this at that time the the, the CEO for North America I said and I saw the brand I love the water I love the packaging that and uh, I said sure you know let's just have a conversation and when I met uh, Jan and Christian we just hit it off you know when you have the chemistry you know we had the same vision on what we wanted for the company we had the same vision on our values and that is very very key not many people i think a lot of people underestimate the importance of being values aligned and that is something which when it was just a normal cup of coffee and then it turned into dinner and we just spoke about the vision and what we would like to see and they asked me if if you were running this how would you do it and it was just a normal conversation there wasn't any script or there wasn't any structure it was just two people talking and then after that i was interviewed by the board and that was a very structured conversation but i outlined the vision and everybody was was on board with that and so i guess follow up here right what is the vision and how did you say you would run uh, the company. See, our goal is very, is very, very, uh, the simple. It's to make Icelandic Glacial a global mega brand, and the U.S. is the engine. The vision that we have is to make Icelandic Glacial a mega beverage company. We want to offer the whole portfolio, like which I'll talk about, is innovation uh, when. At that time, Icelandic just had the plastic, the, the bottles, but then we have now launched since then sparkling. Now we're going to launch sparkling in flavors. We launched glass. So we are really developing the platform. I'm a big fan of a platform, a platform strategy. Establish a platform and you build on that, that platform and innovate against that platform. And as I outlined the vision to the board and, and I said, you know, in year one, this is what I would do year two and year three. They were like, yep, that's exactly what we would like to see. And, and that's what which we have done. Once I started with the company, have a fantastic team and really built uh, and executed against the strategy which was outlined. Okay. Now, you mentioned becoming a global brand and also increasing your, your product offers, which you're doing right now. You're in 21 countries. What is your goal, let's say for 2020, in terms of the number of countries you'd like to be operating in? By 2020, we want to double the countries. We want to be in at least 50 countries. That's our goal. And we actually are heading there really fast. Gotcha. And if you could name a country that you're not in currently that you'd like to be in? <laughs> that's that's going to be, where do, now where do I start? Well, on a personal basis, I would love to launch Icelandic into India. The premium market is small, but it'll be great to launch it in India. We have a lot of, of open gaps. We have just started in South Africa. The whole continent of Africa is available. In South America, we are. I would love to launch it in Argentina and in Brazil, which we are not there. Uh, we only are in this this Colombia and then Peru over there, but we are not in Argentina, we are not in Brazil. So my priority would be expand Latin America, 
you know, really go after Argentina as a big premium water market. Brazil is a, a premium market, water uh, market. And then on an, a personal and emotional is to uh, launch Icelandic into India. So when I go home to India, at least I can buy an Icelandic there. Very cool. Okay. And let's say for Argentina and Brazil, is this something that either you or someone in your company is going to go out and actively look for people? Or do you get so many requests already from these countries asking to distribute your brand that you choose between them? How does that work? So just stepping back is we have a very stringent and a very intensive distributions, uh, distributor selecting uh, selection process. We don't believe in just have one person and then if they don't work out, the six months later, you go after somebody else. We ask them to fill in a, a business plan. We evaluate the business plan. We actually have a discussion on the strategy. We look at the capabilities and then we give our distribution uh, to, to them. Now, it can be exclusive based on the size of the country or it can be uh, you have in a a very large country, you may have the two to three, uh, depending on the strengths of our business the partners. So that is our, our process. And we get inquiries every day. So my colleague and I, Elena, we sit and we go through every inquiry. We look at, okay, is this a valid one or is it just somebody just making an inquiry? Gotcha. Okay. So a lot of people reaching out, a lot of interest there. Now, let's talk a little bit about water. I mentioned this, that not all, but I know at least some of the bottled water brands that Coca-Cola owns. And I remember looking on the label and seeing that they had sodium in their water. And I was confused. You know, why is that? Are they adding salt to their water? See, I don't want to comment on my competitors, yeah, but usually the process is what many companies do is to take your water from the tap, basically. It goes through an RO process, and which basically strips everything out of the water, all the good out of it, they, it strips it out completely. And then they have to add in the minerals and salts back into the water. So each brand has their own level of the total dissolved solder. Each brand has their own level of sodiums based on the formula that they add back in. With Icelandic, our water is never touched because it's from a natural spring. We are filtered by the lava rocks. It's an underground spring. And uh, the, as uh, you had mentioned in the opening, the very first time our water is actually exposed to air is when you open the bottle and then it has the contact with the outside air. So that's where the difference between us and a lot of our the competitor is. Okay, but would it be safe to say, just to get some clarity from myself and the audience, that some bottled water brands, if you see sodium on it, it's because they're adding salt after to this kind of filtered tap water? Yeah, you can say that it's because sodium is, is salt, yeah. Uh, yes, they, they have a mineral mixture, to be honest, and that goes into the tanks and that gets fed, which, and one of the ingredients is salt for the sodium. Gotcha. And then another question for you. How do you, if I understand correctly, Icelandic glacial is carbon neutral? Yep. How is that uh, calculated? So we are the world's first and only carbon neutral product for both manufacture as well as op as for the operations. So just stepping back is Iceland is 
on a, ge a geothermal layer. The country sits on a, ge a geothermal layer. So all the electricity that is generated comes from the earth itself. So it is, and 75% of your carbon footprint is your manufacture. We are a fully integrated, uh, a vertically integrated organization. We blow our own bottles, we do everything on site. And then Iceland imports a lot of products into the country and all those ships are coming back empty. So we just place our product on those empty ships which are heading out. In addition to that, uh, there's an external agency in Europe called the Carbon Neutral Company, which actually certifies what they do is they look at our carbon footprint right up to individual distributor level. And they audit this every year. And they calculate that based on the volume, based on where the product is going, this is our carbon footprint. And then we buy, we don't buy carbon credits, we do carbon offsetting projects. Like, for example, we helped with a, the solar panel project in China. We, here we plant uh, uh, nearly a million trees in the Amazon. They're all various projects that they say, what project do you want to support? And these projects will help offset your, your carbon footprint. And that's what which we do. And then after we go through this whole process, then we get certified as being carbon neutral. So it's a pretty intensive process that we go through as an organization. But both Jan and Christian Olafsson, they're very passionate about the environment. It's part of the, the DNA in Iceland. So from the very first day that the company was actually set up, this one, they set up the company as a carbon neutral company. So everything we do is very focused on the environment. In fact, our bottles are also made with recycled plastic. You can recycle all our bottles. We are the BPA free of all our, our bottles. That's the kind of attention that uh, what the company, which started in 2004, started way ahead before it became the BPA free and all that stuff uh, actually hit. Gotcha. And so just to drill back into the, the carbon footprint. So you're saying it's very detailed, the calculations as detailed as in, for example, let's just say there's 2,000 bottles, I'm making this up, of course, there's 2,000 bottles sold at the Four Seasons Hotel in Bogota, adding up everything in all countries, all, all points of distribution, the, the carbon footprint, and that's all included in the calculation because I realize you're an international company. So, for example, let's take that same example. Is it is calculated from the bottle traveling from Iceland to our distributor in, in the Bogota in, from the time the product enters his warehouse. So from the time it's the factory starts the production process to the, the product entering the warehouse at our distributor in Colombia, that's the calculation there. Gotcha. And it's really interesting to me. One thing that I've read a bit about is now, obviously I, I like local food and I enjoy having local food, but what some may not understand is international shipping is incredibly efficient. And the, like, I'll say like the, the carbon footprint or the, the emissions to the environment, it's, it's usually like a very, a fraction, a very small percentage that comes from the, the international shipping because of its vast efficiency. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely all right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think a, many are not aware of that. Yeah. One, this is interesting to me. I mean, being in 
two countries like U.S. and China, and maybe because they're just you know the two largest economies, and I know India is also on the rise, but right now the two largest economies, and they're compared a lot. Do you have any examples to compare the marketing? Because listeners, I'm going to link to some examples. Um, they have very cool advertising just on Instagram and the models that they use and their initiatives. Uh, this will be at foodstartupspodcast.com slash Iceland. So I guess my question for you, Reza, is what are the, if you could compare and contrast the marketing strategies in US and China? So just step back is we're actually in the process of launching in China. We're going to be there's going to be an announcement very soon and announcing our formal launch into the Chinese market officially. But I have a philosophy which I learned, you know, working in, at very large global companies. You've got to think global, but you've got to act local. That's very, very important because the, every country has a different stage in the product life cycle. Now, in the U.S., how we communicate we, to our consumers is going to be very different from how we're going to be communicating to our consumers in China. Like, for example, in the U.S., the campaign you just spoke about is pure authenticity. And that campaign has come out when we actually spoke about how we as a brand are very authentic to whatever we say and we do. And then we realized the definition of authenticity is different from to everybody and we want to be inspirational. We want people to be authentic to themselves because it's so important for happiness and because we are so authentic as, as a brand. If we say we are a certain, that we are a certain way, we actually are that way. We don't make any outrageous claims. Now, a campaign like Pure Authenticity will not work in China because they won't be the connection between the consumer and the campaign over there. So our strategy in China is going to be first establish the source of the brand. It's very, very important that the water in China has the local water, the water from the tap and all that stuff. There's, there are a lot of brands out there. There's people drink a lot of bottled water there. But so we have to break through the clutter to number one is establish that the brand is from Iceland. And number two, why is it important that the brand is from Iceland? So that's all, so, so that is uh, going to be our, our objective in our communication strategy for a market like China. Whereas in the U.S., it's about driving personality with the brand. It's more about getting people more an emotional connection with our consumers. So the brand objectives, while it may be the same, that is to get brand awareness, but how we execute is going to be very different. And the campaign we use is going to be very different in the U.S. versus China. Okay. I realized the life cycle is just the beginning. It's just the beginning in China. And Will the packaging be in Mandarin or yep. I assume you're going to keep the, the same type of bottle and obviously the Icelandic glacial uh, logo? Yes. The brand attributes, the packaging, the look and feel, everything is going to be the same. So when a consumer walks into a Four Seasons or a, a, a Ritz-Carlton in China or a, a Ritz-Carlton in, in the, the U.S., with one look, they know it's an Icelandic, it's an Icelandic glacial the legal language is where will be different. Like, for example, in Canada, we have to have English and French. 
because that's mandatory. In the U.S., it's only English. And in China, we will have the, the legal language in Mandarin. And Reza, you know, going back to international and global distribution, right? So three years after it was started, Anheuser-Busch bought a 20% ownership stake in the company. Was this a, I don't know, would you call this a jump off point in terms of the, I would assume this really opened up distribution for the company? Yeah, have, having a partner like Anheuser-Busch InBev is fantastic. They're a great partner. They are master distributors in the United States. So, and they are really great business partners to be with, especially in terms of the distribution. Gotcha. Now, I want to go back pre-Icelandic Glacial. You know, one, one question I also wanted to ask you about Activate, and I mentioned this in the intro. In Southern California, on the West Coast, you were able to increase same-store sales by double digits. How did you do that? So it's about, for example, in Southern California, there's a chain called Ralph's. And Ralph's belongs to Kroger, and it was one of Activate's biggest customers. Activate is a cap-activated drink for those who don't know. It was we kept the vitamins in the cap. Uh, you twist the cap, the vitamins fall, you shake it, you drink it, and it's known as, and you get a fresh dose of vitamins because, which we found, vitamins A, B, and C, if it stays in the water for a month or a uh, month and a half, it loses it, it loses the efficacy. So with an Activate drink, you get your fresh vitamins in a fun way, and you get it instantly. We had different flavors. So the question is, our strategy was, okay, we have a Ralph's, let's really focus our limited resources on Ralph's. And then what is the key thing that we had to do is get people to taste the product. So we really invested in demos. We had, we classified stores into A, B, and C. So the A class stores got the super uh, demos. We had demos in the store, demos outside the store. We incentivized people that if you buy we created a six-pack, you buy a six-pack, you get a shopping bag free. So we did a lot of stuff over there. It created excitement with the store managers, and we got a lot of support from the store managers because we were there. A lot of brands, they come in, they just fill the shelves, and they leave. Whereas here, uh, the Activate team, again, did a fantastic job on really creating that, that excitement. And then once, because if you look at studies, People shop the same stores 80% of the time. If you live in the West Hollywood area, you'll end up more or less going to the same stores you, you usually shop at in the West Hollywood area. So once people start getting it into a habit and they just loved drinking the product, then they came back and they just bought the product. So we saw a huge jump at Ralph's with our velocity numbers and yeah it was a it was a phenomenal experience a good learning experience gotcha. so really tailored promotion you got to take away is this know who your consumers are and know where they shop and invest in that in that channel especially for a small company if you got a hundred dollars you don't want to spend ten dollars in ten different things you, you are not going to create an impact but you take one or two things, invest in them, create success stories, share those success stories, and replicate that in, in other retailers. It's all about winning on the ground. So I guess to follow up on that, 
many people listening to the show have a limited budget. So you're kind of warning against spreading yourself too thin, being strategic, testing one or two channels. Once you find success, optimize and then rinse and repeat. Yep. And share that success. Share it with your distributors. Share it with your 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 retailers. Especially as a small brand, you got to establish a proof of of concept. You got to break out from the clutter. Activate actually was BevNet actually classified. If I'm right, in 2011, Activate was the breakout brand of the year. You know that it literally broke out from the clutter. And it's all about. Be careful and be very focused on your 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 limited investments. And I'm again just saying the word limited because many companies don't have big checkbooks. Right. And to clarify, so in 21 countries, what percentage of your sales is I'll say international, meaning not non-US? It's about 25%, but growing. 25%, but growing. Got it. So listen, uh, Reza, you know, to finish up here, what is your typical day like running Icelandic Glacial? You know, I don't have a typical day. That's the beauty about you asked me one when we started off the difference between a big company and a small company. In a small company, you got to wear multiple hats. So I don't really have a typical day, which is the most exciting part. I because either you're doing sales, you're doing marketing, you're sitting with the finance team, you're looking at your supply chain. I tell people we are not in the bottled water business, the, the transportation business, because the one item which affects my PL is my supply chain. So as the CEO, I just have to wear multiple hats, including helping my chairman with the fundraising, plus we always have to keep on raising funds to fund our growth. At the same time, continuously growing the business. So I don't have, or honestly, I really don't have, I would love to say I have a typical day, but I really don't. <laughs> so let's go back to logistics. Really interesting. So you're in the transportation business. Logistics is everything. Since you've been in the company, which is about three years now, what changes or what, can you think of any improvements you've made to the logistics of Icelandic Glacial? Number one is I have a great, really built a really good, team for logistics and the one thing which we implemented is processes you know we have, we have really improved the processes that were that were there we are much better with forecasting for the, the factory we opened up new warehouses on the west coast to better service our customers while we have our main warehouses in the east coast because the product comes into a main uh, the whole thing is planning, obsessed about planning, because the better you plan, the better efficiencies that you can get. Then you plan your raw materials, you plan your inventory, how much inventory to hold, because everything has a cost. So if you don't want to end up with a hell lot of product and over inventory versus you don't want to end up out of stock too. So we spend a lot of time in the planning. And that is, I think, something we have really built, I would say, a fantastic process. It has improved our margins, it's improved our our efficiencies, and the most important, it improves our ability to service our business partners, the retailers, as well as the the distributors. So I want to add something here. So, you know, I also work exporting from from Colombia, importing to the U.S., the extended transportation team, meaning that you have to work with third parties, the customs brokers in Iceland and yep. the ones import into, into Maine in the U.S. and the truckers you work with. And to be fair, there's just a lot of mediocrity out there. 
they don't care that much. It's amazing uh, when you make little improvements with your customs broker, with the truckers you work with, how much it, it can affect the the bottom line. And so that's just a comment there. Second is, so the product comes into Maine. I realize that's got to be the closest point in the U.S. to to Iceland. But is so from Maine, is that where you have your central distribution center? Or do you just import it into Maine and then move it to other places on the East Coast? Because it's interesting. But you absolutely are right. And I think what we did is consolidate. We work with only two to three trucking companies. So from Iceland to Portland, Maine, there's only one, which is actually MSKIP is the shipping company out of Iceland. But then from it arrives to a porthouse, what we did is we consolidated. So instead of giving multiple business to 100 different brokers or trucking companies, we consolidated down to three and really expanded the business. So we get much better service. We get, and all three have been fantastic. They work with us really well. And for example, one of them is Mercury, and they are a pleasure to work with. They really go over and beyond, you know, to help us out when things are to be delivered fast, etc. So it's about creating a partnership and building a level of mutual trust. And again, my head of logistics has done a fantastic job working with, I call them our business partners, because they are so in- integral to the success of the business. So Reza, summing up this interview at... Uh, it's very clear to me that with your vision, you stick to your vision, you're methodical with it, and you execute accordingly, which seems like a, a key to success. And then another big concept, and again, I realize it's kind of cliche, a lot of people say this, but it seems like you actually live this, thinking globally and act locally. So being a CEO, you're able to do both. You know, Think of the overall vision of the company, expand new products, 50 countries and by 2020, but also the importance of execution, having the right partners locally and the right marketing, understanding how the, the customers and product life cycles differ from country to country. Yep. That's a good the summarization. Great. Well, hey, Reza, I personally really enjoyed talking to you. You are the, the first water company to come on to the podcast I think I can speak for the audience as well. I learned a ton. And again, this can be found at foodstartupspodcast.com slash Iceland. Reza, thank you so much for being on. And yeah, I can't wait to go to the four seasons here in Bogota and, and order an Icelandic glacial. Awesome, Matt. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Still here? Have you ever considered coaching? Let me explain. So running my own food business and the podcast has given me a unique perspective on the industry. And as much as you can learn from the show, nothing beats personalized advice and consultation to your challenges as an entrepreneur and a food business owner. If you're interested in learning more, go to foodstartupspodcast.com slash coaching. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, find us online at foodstartupspodcast.com.